We're closing out Yakuza 0. Summary episode. This is it. I feel like before we start summarizing, there's something we need to talk about. I think we made a big mistake. And what? <laughs> I changed my mind. Sagawa is a so long mother. <laughs> He's not a mother respecter. <laughs> Kathy, we completely forgot that he exploded Lee. Oh my god! And that had Makoto and Majima been any closer, they may have died oh as well. Oh my god. And also, he 100% was walking up to Majima to shoot him in the face, and would have, except that Sarah arrived and shot him in the back. I don't know how he forgot that. It was so long ago. <laughs> That's what happened. After we recorded that episode, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, wait, he almost killed all of them. <laughs> How did we forget this? Oh my gosh. I feel like cause so much has happened. This isn't just your normal video game. This is jam-packed with so much drama. So I, I kind of don't blame us for forgetting, but at the same time, yeah, th there's no question whether it's so long Mother Respector or so long Mother Respector <laughs> because he clearly belongs in the latter. But I don't know how we missed yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> so I decided yeah, I we needed either. to set it right. He's a mother. Yes. Yeah, so is. long, Sagawa. You thought you got away with it. You know, he, he even manipulated us, Kathy. He's just that good. Yeah. Well, should we start with the summary? Yes. So topic one, the Yakuza way. So this would be about what it takes to be one and how it's changed. This topic is in reference to the chapter six title. Yes. So the first point is in reference to how punishment is being done and how it starts to evolve. So in the beginning, whenever there was a punishment, it was to lose a pinky finger. And Kuze lost his pinky finger. We see that in episode one. And we also, when we get introduced to Majima, we also learn that he loses an eye. So punishment is pretty much bodily harm. But towards the end, so you've Fast forward to chapter 17. You see that for the punishment of everything Shibusawa does, Kiryu doesn't take anything from him. He doesn't take a finger. He doesn't take an eyeball. He doesn't take a leg or anything. And even though Nishiki was the one who stopped I'm sorry, I Kiryu just realized from... you said take a leg. <laughs> like he's <laughs> yeah. like cut off that leg and hand it over. <laughs> yes, I don't want your pinky. I want your leg. I'm sorry. Continue. Um. <laughs> Yes. So the thing is that it evolves that Kiryu isn't asking for anything that would that would bring physical harm to someone else. And this is something that maybe the new generation is going to approach. The Yakuza way. It's no longer the old Yakuza way. It's a new way. I mean, I think that that is interesting because now we have these two sort of main characters who will become legends of their own within the Yakuza. And, I mean, Majima was physically harmed. Kiryu wasn't, but he's, he's seen it, obviously. And so I think especially Majima would know the effects of that. And maybe these two characters are just smarter. They're smart enough to know how to keep people in line without a looming threat of losing a pinky. So maybe it's a more evolved version of the Yakuza and punishment. And the second point is about should they become a Yakuza? Because right now, they both, Majima and Kiryu, have been kicked off 
So the moment of when they become a Yakuza from the perspective of others is when they're in the sewer and he implies that he's becoming a Yakuza. And the next time, the second fight that they have right after Tachibana is killed, Kusei again hints at it. So that's the moment that Kusei sees Kiryu slowly become into Yakuza. For Majima, after Makoto was shot, Sarah just watches a seething Majima walk away and seeking revenge for Makoto. That look that Sarah has on his face, he recognizes Majima's becoming a Yakuza. Not becoming, but he becomes a Yakuza at that moment. It's similar to how Sagawa just comments that Majima broke free from his cage. It's all these points are, are the moments different people are recognizing that they're no longer someone who wants to be in the Yakuza. They are in the Yakuza. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point. Like, what is it about those moments that makes people react that way? Is it just that they, they're not allowing themselves to be controlled? What do you think it is about those moments that makes people react that way? I think it's the first time that someone else is witnessing in Kiryu and Majima making decisions for themselves. For instance, Kiryu could have continued beating Kusei and just take his life there, but he doesn't. Sarah watches... Majima going to go for revenge. Shimano watching Majima hand him the gun to choose between the Omi Alliance and the Tojo clan. So it's all these instances where they're watching them make a crucial decision. And the third part with the Yakuza way is how their clothing are defining different moments of their evolution. Where Kiryu, in the beginning, he's very harsh with this outfit. And mm-hmm. he slowly changes into something kind of more put together and then he changes once more again and that becomes his final outfit right yeah okay so those are the different moments the different phases he goes through has matching outfits that show it yeah and you have a mind-blowing <laughs> moment yes because he starts out in a black suit changes to a white suit you know black wasn't quite right for him and then the white wasn't quite right for him wow that's a hard sentence to say <laughs> And at the end of the game, he decides on a gray suit and says, I'm not feeling black or white these days. So maybe the the suits are signifying him just trying to figure out who he is and not being sure what his place is within the organization. But when he gets to the gray suit, he's he's figured that out. And the black and white is also another chapter title, too. Mm-hmm. So it is significant enough to become a chapter title and a theme. Exactly. And then too with Majima, I think at the beginning he stays in the same outfit, but when he becomes Yakuza, he has the whole outfit change, short hair. Kind of funny that Nishiki, from start to end, he's always dressed the same in his red suit. I know we're going to see an outfit change, don't know when that's going to happen, but it's almost as if he already knew his place, because he was in the Yakuza, he's never left. So it's kind of funny how the clothing really defines what stage in your status. Yeah. Yeah, and the clothes, I feel like they're more important in this game, but I don't want to get on the verge of spoiler territory for you. Thank you. But yeah, I think keep an eye on the clothes. Those are all my comments for the topic. Mine is, it's basically just one, and I don't really know if it fits exactly what we were <laughs> what we were talking about, but it's more about what it, what it was. And so at the start of the game, the Yakuza way is presented sort of like a a structure, control, hierarchy, and order. But it doesn't take long 
for this to change, we very quickly realize that the order has been disrupted and the following events in the game show how destructive the Yakuza can be. And I think this isn't an, an uncommon thing. I think it's just this is one instance that we get to see exposed. And then if you remember back in Chapter 2, we learned that Tachibana Real Estate is extorting the Jinsei family boss by holding the profit skimming over his head. So we know that he is corrupt, and I think corruption is common, and you could call the Yakuza sort of like a controlled chaos, where anyone could have like a, a secret agenda. The events in this game and the resulting people in power are working to change this. You know, we have Kiryu, Majima, and Sarah. I think they're working to sort of restore the Yakuza way back to what it says it is on the surface by removing those who have been using it to carry out their own objectives. And the way they're building back up, they're doing it in a way that's less corrupt. And I think Sarah will probably have something to do with building it up in a very healthy way. So yeah, let's let's build on that. That's something else I think we want to talk about is Sarah's character because mm -hmm. he doesn't get a lot of screen time. We don't get a lot of development with his character. But it's like he's always there. He's like this voice of wisdom from the shadows. And he continues to show up at the exact right time. He saves Majima from getting shot. He saves Makoto after she gets shot. And he shows up again at Majima when he's about to kill Lao Gui. So... <laughs> What the heck? <laughs> like, who is this guy? How is he so calm? He's always in control. And then that's even contradictory to what we see with a lot of the main players in this story. I think he doesn't need to have that same level as development as other people because he's so established already in who he is at his age and his experience. And I love how you said voice of wisdom from the shadows because that really is although the more we get to know him i i get teddy bear vibes from him <laughs> like he's super cuddly and sweet if you get to know him but he's so well versed in the whole yakuza world and that's why he does so much mentoring and it's really important because especially with majima what kazama to kiryu and nishiki is is what Sarah is to Majima. Mm -hmm. Finally, someone that Majima can look up to and is showing him that you don't have to do some sly stuff or, or being all squirrely like <laughs> Sagawa or betray someone like Shimano. Yeah, and if you think about it, he's the only one who doesn't try to take Makoto away from Majima. When he takes her to the hospital after she gets shot, he's like, are you coming? And so... I think Majima really, really trusts that about him. Yeah, his character's interesting. And I think I think you're right. I think he's, he's kind of gone through what all of the characters are going through now already. He's more of a professional now. And it seems like he's one of the only ones who's using logic instead of emotion for his decision making. And I think it's just because he's seen this all before. And I don't think... The events would have played out the same had he not been around. Well, should we head into our next topic? Mm -hmm. And that would be revisiting our burning question, which is, what is the difference between the raid with Saijima and the hit ordered by Sagawa? Why is Majima 
on board for the raid, but very hesitant for the hit. So my first point is, do we see something similar when at first Majima doesn't want to help Makoto kill for revenge, but then later after she gets shot, he's clearly planning to kill the lieutenants Dojima and Lao Gui. So he sort of does it again. He flips. The only connection I can really make is, are his decisions to kill, or at least plan to kill, made more on emotion for him? Does he decide to do the mass hit with Saijima because he cares about him? And does he plan to carry out Makoto's revenge because he cares about her too? And so is he hesitant when Sagawa orders the hit because he sees it more as his handler's request and not as something coming from a person he's more deeply connected to? That's really the only connection I can make to, to give this question any sort of an answer. For me, I thought of it as carrying out decisions from someone he respects versus someone he sees as his prison warden. And so Sejima is someone he's loyal to. He would die for him. And so there's no hesitancy in, in doing the raid. But Sagawa wasn't someone that Majima respected. Majima was his prisoner, and why would he care to do anything that Sagawa wanted him to do when it wasn't out of respect? So I just had a thought when he is about to kill Lao Gui and Sarah talks him out of it. He mentions that it would affect Makoto much like Saijima killing affected Majima. So maybe after what happened with the raid, with him not being there to help Saijima, that feeling that he has, that, that debt that he can't repay, maybe he is more sensitive to murder at this point, um, which we all should be. So maybe by the time the hit comes around, he understands more about the side effects of death. And so maybe that's why he's more hesitant, and then that might be why when... Makoto wants to get her revenge. He doesn't want her to go down that path because he knows how painful it can be. But I still struggle with this. Why is killing 18 people okay? <laughs> but killing one person is like, wait, hold on. Are you really going to make me do this? I, I still don't know if I can find an answer that fully satisfies this question for me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think... Maybe it might be a difference of killing someone who's in the Yakuza who knows they're always at risk in that lifestyle versus killing Makoto, someone who's completely innocent. Our next topic is about Kazuma. Yes. So the first part is our impressions of him. I think he's cool, calm, and collected. And he's a legacy. And he also proves that you don't have to be actively involved in day-to-day -day activities of the Yakuza and physically be there in order to promote yourself and be well known. He's obviously done so much in his past life that just the name of it is a threat to others. Yeah. I get annoyed at him in this game. Um, I feel like he just throws everybody, including people he's supposed to care about and innocent people, into an incredibly dangerous and volatile situation. I mean, I guess in a way you could kind of blame Tachibana for reaching out to Kazuma in the first place, which is sort of what sets this whole thing into motion. But Tachibana made it pretty clear that he's following Kazuma's plan. 
and Tachibana came to him to find a way to ensure Makoto's safety, she ends up getting shot and Tachibana gets killed. I think we can all agree that would not be part of <laughs> Tachibana's plans. So to me, it feels like Kazuma uses Tachibana to execute his own plan and doesn't even really care about what Tachibana wants out of the whole thing. Earlier, Tachibana mentions that he views relationships as people using each other. And this is no different. I think he and Kazuma were using each other, but Kazuma just outused Tachibana. And all of this just makes me question his, his intentions and even his intentions towards Kiryu and Nishiki. Is he really being a good father figure? Is he really doing what's right for them? I don't see him in this game. He doesn't seem like the good guy that Kiryu follows. So this kind of plays into what we mentioned last episode during the summary scene where Shibusawa trying to build in some doubts as Kiryu is about to beat the crap out of him. <laughs> there has to be some truth in what he says because Kiryu starts to sway in what he knows of Kazama versus what he's being told by a third party. And I think it just shows that you're spot on that Kazama might not be the best person out there. He might not be someone who's highly respectable because of his ethics. And I can see why you'd get annoyed at him because he uses people. We don't see much of him. We only really get to see Kazama, you know, in the flesh very briefly at the end of the game. And up until that point, he's sort of just like a ghost that hides in the background, but you can sense his presence. As much as I'm not sure he's worthy of Kiryu's dedication, he is smart and clearly well-respected, and that's something you still have to earn. So he got to where he is for a reason. But for me, it's more of a question of what has he done to get there, which, back to what you were saying, is a point Shibasawa brings up when he mentions his past as a hitman. And so that just makes you wonder, what else do we not know about him? Who is this guy? Everybody knows him. I guess to wrap it up, though, do you think he succeeded in his plan? I mean, I think I think so. I like when Tachibana dies is when I start to question, is his plan still working or is this a failure? But at this point, I think Tachibana's life was sort of just if he makes it through this alive, that's great. But I think Cosmo is fully expecting for him to die. I don't think he's hoping for him to die, but I think he's expecting it, and I think he's okay with that. And understanding that or believing that makes me think his plan did succeed. He has who he wanted at the head of the Tojo clan now. I think he succeeded, and I think it cost Tachibana his life. Yeah, I, I think so too. Because the empty lot is with the Nikio Consortium, and that was the goal. So I say yes, but even if it didn't end up with him, as long as it didn't end up with Dojima, we can call that a partial success. Yeah, unless it was Shimano, maybe. True. Topic five? Yes. Alright, so we want to sort of go a little deeper into some character arcs. Some of the main players in this game. That sounded really weird, didn't it? Yeah. For some of the main characters in this game. So I think first up, what order should we go in? I say we start with the main character, Kiryu. All right, so yeah, first up, we're going to talk about Kiryu, so I will give my notes first. But as I was typing up all of my character arc notes, I noticed I started to follow like a specific theme for each character. 
So I decided to give a one-word characterization for each one. And so my one word for Kiryu is calibration. And let me tell you why. So Kiryu starts out at what feels like inexperience. And that in combination with his dedication to Kazuma causes him to make some, some mistakes and leads him to distancing himself from the people who care about him. But as the story progresses, we see him make various realizations. He shouldn't try to do everything himself that he's put people into tough situations, and that he's still young and has a lot to learn. I don't think these realizations lead to him losing any dedication to Kazuma or to his own morals, but I think they allowed him to to recalibrate and be able to use his dedication and his morals in a more beneficial and mature way. And then by the end of the game, Kiryu has decided who he wants to be and what he wants to stand for. And I think we'll see his dedication to this moving forward. But I think it's because of these events in this game that his headstrong actions have been corralled. And he sort of has recalibrated in a way that makes his actions more constructive. I like the structure. <laughs> I really like calibrated because that pretty much is what he's doing, especially with his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the change in clothes. So I think it ties really well. I do want to circle back to one other thing. Yeah. I wonder if there's something that Kiryu learns and it's the reason why he chooses to be with the Dojima family instead of the Kazama family. Is there just too much doubt built in that he decided to go with a different family? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a fair question to ask. I don't know mm-hmm. if we get a clear answer to that. His his choice for choosing the Dojima family is still a little murky to me. I feel like I can I can understand it, but I can't explain it. Maybe he's even just feeling too close to Cosmo, like he's too connected to him. And as we see, that led to some issues in this game. So maybe he, he's just trying to distance himself. But back to Gideon. So he's someone who grows into his own role and what he wants to be. He toggles between being the Yakuza as just someone who's really rough, very shallow, into becoming someone who works in real estate. Into someone who's fighting the Yakuza as a civilian and back to being a Yakuza. So he's starting to figure out what he does and who he is in terms of his spot in his society and contributing value to the people around him. And again, his clothes are going to mark those different milestones. <laughs> but he's also seems to be more composed after fighting recklessly with Shibusawa which needed Nishiki to interrupt him. Mm-hmm. You see him being so emotional. He's matured enough to start thinking less emotionally and more objectively, especially when he's giving advice to Makoto about choosing your own actions. He just seems so much more mature about it and starting to take his own advice. This whole game is like a wake-up call, a pretty extreme wake-up call for him to sort of start focusing differently second one Majima. i have so much written down for this character <laughs> mine's actually pretty shallow so i don't know if you want me to go first then or do you want to go straight <laughs> into it i'll start going but if you ever want to add something in just tell me okay so first off i just i have to say i love how they handled majima's transformation and this will probably sound contradictory but the shift is sort of subtle, yet noticeable. 
I don't know if you know what I mean. I don't know if that makes sense. You have to look afterward, but it's subtle enough that it's almost like looking at something, you know, it's different, but you can't pinpoint what it is. I think just because there's a lot of desperation in his story, it, it just moves too fast. I think by the end of the game, you could definitely see how much he's changed. So that being said, my one word that I gravitate towards to summarize his character arc is freedom. And exhibit one for me is when he puts getting back into the family on the back burner. In his early chapters, he mentions that he is enduring his captivity and that he accepts the hit job primarily to get back into the Yakuza. So this has been his driving force, but as soon as he learns who the hit target is and meets Makoto, he starts to make decisions that not only mess up his chances of getting back into the family, but may very well get him killed, too. And as an audience member, I don't, in the moment while playing, notice this at the level of depth I think it deserves to be noticed at. It's easy to just write this off as like, oh, Majima is just a, a decent human being. He's not killing this blind girl. But Majima's risking everything for this, and I think it shows that he just has this underlying yearning for freedom. We know he hates being under Sagawa's thumb. And later when Shimano's plan is revealed, he clearly hates being controlled. So I really think he's just craving freedom, and I don't think he really notices it. But let's not forget, he also spent a year in the hole being tortured, only to be released into a new prison, so to speak. He's had no freedom for three years. He doesn't take the time to realize that until he meets Makoto. So he's pretty much doing what no one's doing for him. He's trying to help Makoto get her freedom and he can finally do something about it because he knows for himself there's no Majima to save him. And so he's going to take on all those heroic actions just to save her uh, because he knows that it's too late for him. There's no one out there for him that can do the same thing. Yeah, and then I think along the way he sort of starts to realize that in doing that for her, he's also doing it for himself. He starts to taste that freedom and he just doesn't look back. And then my second point on this is more in relation to like his internal freedom, if that makes sense. For example, like his nightmare. His dreams are robbing him even of the freedom of having a decent night's sleep. And considering that the nightmare was essentially a flashback to the Saijima incident, as I like to call it, Majima isn't being honest with himself in his waking life. And I say this because you can look at it as his nightmares are controlling his decision-making. He's been so focused on cleaning up that mess he made that he doesn't give himself the freedom to even want anything else. And then going back into sort of the outfit conversation, are Majima's shoes a symbol of freedom? It's the only piece of him that we see in the flashback, in the current timeline, and after his transformation. Or is that just the one thing that he can control or the one piece of his his free life before he went into the hole that he was able to hold on to in captivity? And is that why he'll continue to wear them for the rest of his life? I mean, I think there's maybe one or two times where he wears different shoes, but personally, I like to think he's just getting them repaired <laughs> in those moments. What do you think it says that his shoes are the only thing that is consistent across each timeline? So I said, what grounds him in... Pretty much all the characters in this game are your shoes and i might be overthinking this but the changing in shoes is what grounds him yeah um 
it could even symbolize like just the core Majima. It's still there with him even after he makes his transformation. He'll be pretty different from what we see in Yakuza 0, but we'll still see glimpses of something more similar to this Yakuza 0 Majima. And so I think maybe the shoes are just, you know, that reference for him to sort of remember who he is at his core. I did want to mention that he's starting to become more and more similar to Kiryu, or maybe it's the other way around, but they're both starting to become very similar. In the sense that, I mean, obviously, they're both now in the Yakuza, so we have that. But it's also that they're learning how to make their own decisions for themselves. Having experiencing something so traumatic, yet making it alive. I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen moving forward into Yakuza 1. Yeah, I think you might be a little <laughs> a little taken back by uh, the first we see of Majima in Kiwami, but I'm not going to say anything more than that <laughs> because we're not there yet. But should we move into Makoto? Do you want to start? So Makoto went from someone being completely helpless to someone who stands her ground and is not just standing her ground. She doesn't need the doctor to help her when she's going to handle the Yakuza by herself. She doesn't strike me as the type who's going to fight them. <laughs> so I don't know what she was thinking, but She's gone through so much, even more than Kirio and Majima, if you include everything that's happened before. But she's also starting to live her life, not just for herself, but for Tachibana. And I feel like her going back, paying her respects to him, is also just her showing that I'm going to continue to be okay without you. Yeah, I think she, she sort of carries what happens in this game. And is, isn't afraid of it, which I think she maybe would have been if she hadn't gone through this transformation. And that is why my one word attribute for her character arc is fortitude. Yeah, when we first meet her, she's, she's nice, but she's scared and honestly pretty helpless. And we see her struggle with this a lot as the game progresses. That's when she, she takes that leap of doing things on her own, which obviously it does not go well. She gets shot. But I think the cool thing that we see from her character is even though this happens and even though she has that breakdown after she gets shot to Majima when she's just bleeding out, even though that happens, when we see her again at the end of the game, she's still strong Makoto. You know, she still has the fortitude that she grew into during the course of this game. And despite getting shot when she stood up for herself, she still chooses to push back against the Yakuza at the end of the game. And I think when she fell into Oda's trap, it, it changed her and made her weaker and made her scared. But I think now that she's come out of this, this new horrible experience and she's still alive, does she realize that it doesn't matter if you're scared, you still might get shot either way. Like, <laughs> So in the last scene with her in that street, do we see that she's chosen to not be scared because being scared and getting shot... <laughs> is worse than, than fighting for yourself and getting shot. Here's the thing. The old Makoto wouldn't have minded if she just ended her life from getting shot and everything and just kind of just call it quits. But I, I feel like going through Kiryu's speech of something pivotal, she's strong enough. And I don't know how... Sorry, that was simply <laughs> not even the question. I just realized that. No, but that, that gave me another 
question. When she is shot, is she expecting to die in that moment? I mean, I think it's fair to assume that she is. And she had regrets. You know, she apologizes to Majima that she thought she could do it herself and she just wanted to do it herself. And so maybe when she wakes up from being shot, she still has those regrets and she decides that she doesn't want to to live in a way that causes her to have those same regrets. I have to disagree with you. I think she was she wasn't ready to die at that point. Um, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think she's ready. I don't think she's oh. wanting to die. I think she. I think okay, she was no. thought she was gonna die. You know, because she just got shot. I think she thought, oh no, I'm dying. That's why she has regrets because she's reflecting on if I die here. <laughs> okay, I get it. I think. I think it's the moment where. Kiryu gives her the speech and everything that she she wants to fight. I'm pretty sure if Kiryu didn't talk to her at that point and she got shot, she was like, you know what? That's the end for me. Well, then should we move on to Nishiki? Yes. Your boy. Sweet, sweet Nishiki, my favorite. <laughs> he is the, the Kyodai, the brother that everyone wanted to have because his loyalty was to his people and not to the organization. The man risked his life multiple times choosing to side with Kiryu, even if that meant him possibly dying. His loyalty with Kiryu and Kazama never wavers. And personally, I didn't think he had much of a character arc. I think he stayed steady, consistent, loyal. Not saying that he doesn't have growth. He's already so mature level-headed, already knows the direction he wants. And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that episode 6, he goes through a moment where he... <laughs> I feel like maybe that impacted him. <laughs> I can see I'm just like, everything you're saying, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm about to dismantle this. <laughs> like, not, not dismantle it, but it's like, mine are just so different. that I, I'm just so excited to hear what you keep saying. <laughs> because I have... Rose tinted glasses on when it comes to Nishiki. I am biased. I'm, hey, that's I'm fine. Blind. Um, that's fine. <laughs> yes, but but as I'm saying this, I realize that episode. I forgot when I was writing my notes down. Episode six, Nishiki, the, his character during that 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 moment. Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm watching your face. I'm just so excited smiling. to hear where you go with this because it's just so opposite of the direction I went. <laughs> You're like just. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, okay, maybe. no, I'm here. Okay. I promise I'm focused. Okay. Well, I, I know you're you're overly focused right now because you're about to dismantle. My, I think that's the wrong word. I arguments. chose the wrong word, but we'll get we'll get there. Continue. We'll get there. <laughs> okay, but yes, that during that episode, Nishiki has to maybe he does go through some growth because. He's split between wanting to protect Kiryu from being tortured, but also struggling to kill his best friend, even though his best friend said, go ahead, just shoot me, I'll be, I'll be good. He has to choose, and it was so emotional and profound for him. So I guess there was some growth in it. But otherwise, I f felt that he was consistent. He, he knew that Kiryu was being emotional both at the beginning and again, when he's fighting Shibusawa, he's always there right at the nick of time and he stops him for doing something that he knows Kiryu will probably regret. Yeah. I'm ready! It's not like disagreeing with you, it's more just like 
I was going to say pulling apart what you said, but that sounds worse. It's more like separating yeah. what you said and mine is in the middle, if that makes sense. So let, okay. let me just get into it. My one word for him is individualism. So at the start of the game, Nishiki is very confident in himself and in his role, both in the Yakuza and in his relationship with Kiryu. But then Kiryu breaks this for him when he goes against the Yakuza. And because Kiryu and the Yakuza have been constants for Nishiki, they've gone hand in hand because Kiryu's in the organization. So he's had these two constants and they've been connected. They've been on the same trajectory this whole time. But as soon as Kiryu makes the decision he makes, Nishiki's sort of stuck in the middle of an argument. And this is where the, the individualism comes in. He's been defining himself with these two constants. And now he's stuck with having no individualism to help him handle the situation. We see him struggle, especially in chapter six, like you say, to sort of find his place. He doesn't have that confidence that he had earlier on. And it's not until the final chapter that he realizes that he needs to be more independent to not just listen to Kiryu, to not just listen to the Yakuza. And he makes his own choice, finally, firmly plants his foot in one camp and decides to back up Kiryu. And in this way, I feel like he completes his character's arc by acting out of his own free will. I feel like that makes sense. I, I like that. Do you think that those... The Yakuza and Kiryu, do you think those things are what gave him confidence or even just security and knowing his place? Honestly, don't know, but I'm leaning towards no, because I feel like his loyalty was already towards him and he already chose to pledge his loyalty and alliance with Kiryu. I think he wants to be loyal to Kiryu, but he it's, it's difficult, especially in that first moment when Kiryu tells him and Kashiwagi, he's planning to leave the clan. It's, again, very unfair of Kiryu to put Nishiki in this situation. And I think it kind of breaks him. I think it kind of breaks Nishiki for a while. His loyalty is clouded. I don't know if he even has... I mean, I think he has loyalty, but I don't know if he's acting on that as much as he's acting on people telling him what to do. Because he, he does want to help Kiryu. So yeah, I, I do think he has the root of his loyalty in Kiryu. But every time Kiryu tells him, like, no, back off, he listens. He had these two things he was a part of, both telling him, do something else. So I think his decision-making is based less on loyalty until the finale and more on he doesn't even know what to do because he lacks that individualism. Should we do a quick conclusion? Yeah. So... This is saying goodbye to Yakuza 0. This is saying bye to the game that started everything. It's kind of sad, but it's exciting at the same time. It feels weird to be done with it. It does, but also being the first game where we can test out and really find our own footing to how we want to approach this podcast. But I think that's the mark of, of doing this right. You know, it's not going to stay exactly the same. I think we'll stay true to what we want to do. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be altered until we find the pattern that works the best for us. But yeah, this game is, is the start of that. It is the test. And I have to say, playing through it again with the intention of analyzing it, it's crazy how much more depth there is to this game if you go looking for it. 
and I'm excited to see that in every other game we look at. But we're going to take a break from Yakuza. There's so many games that we felt doing them one right after the other would just be too much. So we're going to move on to a new game. And you know what? I don't think we should say what it is. I think we should just play some of the soundtrack. And if people know it, they know it. If they don't, they'll know it next week. Let's do it. And we'll just let it fade. Thank you. 